0: Cloud computing is growing at compound 15 to 20% per year. No sign of abating. So, if you think of a computer chip, the only really thing it does is produce heat as it swaps its naughts into ones and back again. The only physical difference it makes is it produces heat. And that heat has to be gotten rid of. That heat's wasted. I mean, what we do is we package up 480 microprocessors, and we take, put them in a in the box it's the size of a typical heating unit that you would find in Europe. And each one of those consumes 10 watts of electricity. That means it produces 10 watts of heat, because as you say, you can't get rid of it. But the 10 watt is just heat. So that's 4.8 kilowatts of heat whilst you're doing some processing. Well, you can heat a house with that.
1: Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Iyer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Gary Felgate, Chair and Energy Lead at Thermify. Smart green, using energy twice. He joins us from Berlin, Germany. Welcome, Gary.
0: Good afternoon, or good morning, should I say.
1: I used to work for an IT company early on in my career, and the latest technology we all were excited about was a 3.5-inch floppy disk with a huge storage capacity of 1.44 megabytes. Give the folks today what that size would mean in Say, document size or a music file, how big is 1.44 MB? Or maybe even just a picture?
0: I would answer it in a slightly different way. I started my career actually working for IBM, and I worked on their supercomputers in uh, upstate New York in Poughkeepsie. And we had $10 million worth of computer to play with between four of us. And it was like, I was so happy. And I think I've got more power on my phone now than that $10 million supercomputer had. Just unfathomable, the speed of change.
1: So when was that?
0: I was with IBM. I started an IBM in 1986. I was there for 10 years. I was a rare beast at IBM. I I was quite good at maths and I could program in Fortran and they were moving into the supercomputing in the energy space. And I got the privilege to go out to Poughkeepsie and play with this amazing kit with these really talented people from all over the world. But as I say, I think my phone has more power than that machine has.
1: And fast forward today, how much data is stored in the cloud, say, worldwide or just maybe UK or Germany where you are? I can't
0: tell you the amount of data that's stored in account, but I can tell you, I think it was about a couple of years ago, every two days we were taking more photos than we had taken in the whole of the world up to that time. It was just this exponential growth of, of data that's being stored. But one of the things that we're seeing is Cloud computing is growing at compound 15 to 20% per year, no sign of abating. Mm -hmm. Everything we see is being done in the cloud. The volumes are unimaginable and insatiable.
1: So where are these servers located geographically?
0: Well, they're all over the world. One of the challenges of these services is they get very hot, and so there is a real case for putting them in cooler countries as possible because so much They produce so much heat. Mm-hmm. There's another driver here in Europe with data security and government. So, you know, in Germany, German data must be held in Germany. In Britain, British data must be held in Britain. You know, there's a finite amount of space where you can put these data centers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The other thing is, is they say that, you know, cooling them is the real challenge.
1: Yeah. And I read somewhere that they are kept near the Arctic Circle, some big ones and near maybe hydroelectric plants and the besides being in the country where sensitive information needs to be contained.
0: That's correct. Some people are exploring putting them under sea and it's sea you know, there is the challenge of keeping these machines and these data centers cool. You know, what is interesting is, and I speak as a layman here, is that if you think of a computer chip, the only really thing it does is produce heat. As it swaps its noughts into ones and back again, the only physical difference it makes is it produces heat. And that heat has to be gotten rid of. That heat's wasted. And that heat probably amounts to something like 30% of all the energy bills of a data center run by Amazon or Microsoft or or whomever.
1: Recently, um, there was research conducted by five scientists from Northwestern University, Lawrence Berkeley Lab and other independent research labs, which they said the increase in consumption in these cloud storage facilities, which have become as large as football fields, they're becoming more and more efficient and they haven't actually grown at the alarming rate that they were expected to.
0: I think that's correct. They have become increasingly efficient. But I'm going to turn that around completely, if I may, on its head and say, what if you could use that heat for good? What if you could turn that waste, that struggle to make it more efficient, which is indeed good. I've worked in efficiency all my life. If you don't use something, it is good. Mm -hmm. But what if you could take that heat and put it to good use rather than vent it away? Because no matter how efficient it is, there will always be waste.
1: So there are two components. One is the energy consumption, which... The big giants are trying to make their processes more efficient, so they consume less and less every year. On the other hand, they generate so much heat, which needs to be cooled down. But you, as Thermify, is trying to use that energy to give electricity or energy to your customers.
0: Yes, that's what, in a nutshell, you're correct. We're trying to give the heat to the customers. The other driving factor that's happening as we face the climate crisis, as we come up to COP26 in Glasgow shortly, is the need to decarbonize every element of our life.
1: Could you elaborate COP26?
0: That is the major conference that is happening in Glasgow, which many world leaders are attending which is following on from the protocols of the past, which is where governments make their commitments to reducing their carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. As we're speaking today, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is meeting with the President of the United States, discussing what announcements each of them will make. So that is taking place in November. And it's a, a real world focus, if you will, for the world nations to try and work out how they're going to decarbonize their economies.
1: What is your solution? First thing I would say that all
0: solutions are needed. There's no one solution. Everything is good, from turning the lights off to electric cars, everything. Where we focus is 15% of the carbon emissions in Great Britain. The number in the United Kingdom is fairly representative for those of North America and the rest of Europe. 15% of those carbon emissions come from heating and hot water. Mm-hmm. So it's a significant component. It is roughly the same as aviation. So heating houses and heating hot water in Britain does the similar amount of carbon emissions as the aviation industry.
1: That's the first time I've heard that. I know. and That's a startling statistic.
0: So this is a great area where you want to reduce carbon emissions.
1: So your solution kind of reminds me of a science fair contest that my daughter entered into. It's, she was, I think, about 12, and there was an energy contest. She took household high-pressure steamer that we use for cooking, connected a pipe to go into some kind of a turbine made out of a soup can, and that turbine would spin to give electricity, and the water would condense to give you clean water.
0: Your daughter is ahead of time. I mean, this is...
1: be noted, she did not win the contest at all. And it was such an obvious solution for her. And the reason I bring it up, your solution seems so obvious, right? You have heat and energy is never lost. It's perpetual. Why was it not used before this? I can
0: say this because it's not my idea. i mean, the founders, but it's brilliant. I mean, what we do is we package up 480 microprocessors and we take, put them in in a box it's the size of a typical heating unit that you would find in Europe, and each one of those consumes 10 watts of electricity. Mm-hmm. That means it produces 10 watts of heat, because as you say, you can't get rid of it. So it's, the noughts and ones aren't doing anything other than something that we really want in cloud computing. But the 10 watts is not produ- it's just heat. So that's 4.8 kilowatts of heat whilst you're doing some processing. Well, you can heat a house with that.
1: How long can you heat a house?
0: On a well-insulated house with that, you can heat it throughout the year and provide all its heat and hot water. Uh, running somewhere between, depending on which season you're in, some, running between somewhere between two and 14 hours a day.
1: I would be happy even if it satisfied 50%. Not even looking at 100% substitution to gas or coal or oil at this point in time.
0: But here's the delight, if I would put it, because in my background, I'm working in climate change, but there's another real, real social problem that we face in the United Kingdom. And that is, is that people can't afford to stay warm. The energy bill is too high. Now, in our solution, all of that electricity that's using producing heat is being paid for by the person who's doing the compute. Because they want the noughts and ones to flip and they'll pay for it. And we just charge a market rate. We're not charging anything unusual. We're saying, look, we'll do your rendering for you, we'll do your mapping for you, and you pay us and we'll just do it for you. And you pay us what you pay anybody else. And meanwhile, we get this byproduct of heat, which we can charge what we'd like for, and we're going to charge a very, very low price. So we're in conversations of major cities for houses for less wealthy people to be able to provide them their heating at a much lower cost than they would otherwise be able to do, which is why, you know, well, I think we're a mindful business because we can actually, as well as looking at reducing the impact of climate change because we'll use less energy, mm-hmm. we will be delivering on a key social cause, which is enabling people to stay warm and have hot water at a price they can afford.
1: You know, very often, even solar or other forms of renewable energy solutions that are available they haven't become efficient enough. They haven't been optimized to make it as affordable as our other oil, the gas and the coal energies. My next question literally on my sheet was, how much does your thing cost? And you're saying to the consumer, it would just cost the nominal amount
0: We're planning on a monthly fee. We're pricing it at what um, gas prices were in the United Kingdom. Gas prices used to be low in the United Kingdom. They spiked recently. And as you move to electricity, the prices of heating will go up significantly, typically fourfold. So we're pricing it at the price of what gas prices would be. And that's probably around about $70 a month would be a normal price for a household in the United Kingdom to pay every month for their heating and hot water in a ordinary sized house. Mm-hmm. So we're setting our price points, if you will, of about $70 a month for providing that service and maintaining the system. However, we're also intending for those customers in who are more vulnerable, but maybe elderly or, or on lower incomes and so on, of putting our price points at probably around $35. And that will be decided by the the city or whatever with whom we're working with. But we are going to significantly reduce the prices of what people would have to pay by comparison to what an electricity heating system would provide. Mm -hmm. In England, it is said that there's 13% of people are what is defined as fuel poor. That means that they don't have enough money to be warm. In Scotland, that number rises to 25%. Half of the people in some towns are making decisions about whether they can heat their house or not. Now, it's always been possible to provide clean energy, but, and it's been possible to provide affordable energy. But bringing the two together has been a challenge, as you rightly point out. We think we've overcome that challenge.
1: Stepping back a little bit, why we had these huge, huge servers, email electronic way of communication, digital communication, was considered a more eco-friendly solution. You know, we would have this statement on our signature, print only if you must, something like that. But that has, in fact, caused some problems, right? Like right now.
0: Yes, it has. I would say that if you look at, I mean, one of the interesting cases, as we've all been through the pandemic, as uh, is the significant increases in online shopping. I read an article this morning for one of the biggest problems is getting rid of all the cardboard and the packaging that comes in. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, if you have, let's say, a thousand people driving to Walmart to go shopping, and instead of a thousand people driving to Walmart going shopping, they are ordering online from Walmart. Even though the energy use on the data center or the distributed the cloud has gone up, you've taken a thousand journeys out. So this growth in data usage is it can be a real force for good because I am I haven't travelled.
1: Yeah, there is just one truck which is going around making these thousand stops, then thousand cars individually going to Walmart.
2: Yeah,
0: where we are in Berlin, that truck is an electric truck.
1: Which we in the US, um, I don't know how many of them are electric right now. Yeah, the growth
0: in compute not necessarily be a bad thing. You know, you and I are having a conversation across continents. In the past, I'd have gotten on a plane. And all of that is facilitated. And all of that could be hosted on one of our heat hubs, producing heat as we talk to one another across continents, we could be heating someone's home at the same time.
1: So if I understand your solution, it can be stored? Is there any energy that is lost? Or is it like literally 100%? Is there any energy loss?
0: There is a modest amount loss. So imagine a, a cabinet and inside that there's the, the processors. All of that heat up to now would be waste. We are at the moment getting efficiencies of 80% of the heat out of it. And our objective working with the universities in in Wales is to try and move that number up to 90%. But So we're getting 80% of the energy out of it. Bear in mind in the data centre, all of that energy would be dissipated.
1: And it is cleaned right now. So if the data centres use renewable energy and then you use that to electrify homes, we will have a cleaner energy solution.
0: That's right. We're working with a company at the moment who are going to provide us with 100% renewable clean electricity to the home. So we will be using entirely clean energy. We'll be using it twice because we'll do the compute processing and we'll be heating the home.
1: If we want to think about reducing the energy consumption, regardless of if it's renewable or not, it is good to conserve, right? So do you think simple steps like somebody told me that don't do reply all or just don't keep on randomly subscribing to many, many newsletters or websites, do you think that really even matters or is it just too small?
0: I think every little helps. So, I worked in an organization called the Carbon Trust, which is still going, which is an organization looking at reducing carbon emissions in businesses in the United Kingdom. We decided to see if we, we were getting inundated with emails. And it was just like, you never did any work because you had so much email. So, we tried to say, well, let's try and limit how many emails you send a day to each other. But then we said, if I send you an email, that counts as one email. But if I send it to you and nine other people, it counts as 10 emails. So this is a part of your quota. Now, we didn't impose a quota, but it got us into thinking that does everyone need to have this answer? And if they don't, then don't include them. Now, one wants to be open and transparent. I think most of us would say that we get email overload. And I think for our health, it's a good thing to reduce that as much as it would be to reduce demand on processing.
1: So whose innovation is this? Is it yours or?
0: Uh, no, it's not. It's a, I've name Adam, he invented it. And I was brought in at a fairly early stage because of my energy background. We hold, we've patented the idea. And we have the patents in the United States and the United Kingdom and the European Union. And we really relaunched the product as of last November with bringing in um, a new CEO, Travis Tyner, who's um, also based in Berlin, but out of Silicon Valley. So understands the IT side so much stronger than I do.
1: So what was his journey? How did he come across this innovation?
0: This innovation was started by Adam Pulley in England. Mm-hmm. He is someone who has worked in the IT space for many years. He made the obvious connection that processors give out heat. I mean, it, if you think about your, you know, the laptop, or my laptop at the moment, it's plugged into something which is kind of like, looks like a brick, the, the electricity, and that brick gets hot and the laptop gets warm. And he just came up with the idea of, can you take the heat out of that? And how can you take the heat out of it? The development has been subsequently done on terms of how you can efficiently get that heat out by our CEO, Travis Toyner, who has basically built a system whereby you can miniaturize the whole process Mm -hmm. so that you can get these very small chips, which are the size of a credit card, and actually take the heat out of
1: them. Give people a visual, like say you want to do like a flowchart. This is my home. What physical things you'd put in my home, and how will it get to me? Can it be retrofitted?
0: Yes, it can be retrofitted. Forgive me. I'm gonna our first market is the United Kingdom, and typically you have a gas boiler in, in the United Kingdom. And I guess typical gas boiler would be, and I tend to think in metric, but I guess it'd be four foot high by two foot wide by one and a half feet deep and it sits on your wall. It has an electricity connection because to provide the spark and it has a gas connection coming in to burn the gas. And then it has a water pipe coming out with hot water, returning back with cold water as it's gone round the radiators in the house. So that's a a classic system. Mm -hmm. We will replace that box with our heat hub. And it will look exactly the same and uh, sit on the wall. But instead of having a gas pipe coming in, it'll have a data connection coming in. It'll still have electricity because we now need to power those processors. It'll still have uh, hot water out to feed the radiators and a cold water return, returning the cold water. So, in effect, it replaces the standard gas boiler that is very common in United Kingdom and Northern Europe. In Europe, we tend to use a uh, warm water heating system rather than a steam heating system.
1: When you talk about data, there's always a question of security. Would there be any compromises or it is irrelevant in your solution?
0: Security is absolutely critical. We're going to be helping people to do potentially very important work, and their security is paramount, the standard security procedures will be built in. As I say, Travis's background is that as a security expert from Silicon Valley. But there's one other thing. Your piece of work, that, for instance, that you want us to do on the compute processing won't be done on one heat hub. Mm-hmm. It will be divided up amongst numerous heat hubs. So number one, James Street will be doing a bit of it. Number seven, James Street will be doing another bit of it. Number 23, James Street will be doing something else. And then it may be somewhere in a different part of the country or in a different country that it's parceled up. So if you were able to break into the system, you would be breaking into a micro parcel of the data.
1: So almost like divide and conquer.
0: Yes, I would certainly say, you know, divide.
1: So, you know, you're conquering the data breach solution by dividing it up into very, very, very small parts and um, which individually make no sense to the hacker.
0: Yes. No, no, you're absolutely right. The point is, is is that if you've got a a job being run on something that it could be a couple of houses in Aberdeen, another house in Cardiff, five houses in London they are all working on producing this job um, for you.
1: So has your solution been implemented?
0: Not yet. We are at the testing stage at the moment. We've been supported by the UK government on modelling the performance and we're now being supported by the Welsh government to do a full test in the University of Swansea, which will start shortly. And we are in good negotiations for the potential rollout of 6,000 units to a, a British city. But that's at an early stage at the moment. We are hopeful that come next year, 2022, will be the start of our rollout of our systems.
1: What do you think your market capacity is? What is your total addressable market? Or even how much you think you can get in the next couple of years? How many homes?
0: So in Britain, there are 26 million homes, of which 23 million have gas boilers. The British Committee on Climate Change has said to reach the targets, you must replace all of those gas boilers by 2050. Mm -hmm. And to deliver that number, Britain must replace 20,000 gas boilers with an electric alternative every week between today and 2050 that's our addressable market
1: so my next question is do you think you have the capacity to do that
0: that is a difficult question to answer the straight answer is we will be part of that solution not the entirety of that solution So there will be a lot of electrification solutions. Mm -hmm. Our business plan at the moment when we're fully running is about 40,000 units per year in the early first couple of years. And to put that into perspective, that's two weeks sales we're targeting.
1: So why did you patent it? Why not sell it as a turnkey? There are some other innovators that I've spoken to who see the problem so urgent and so large they feel that they are not capable by themselves to offer the solution. I'm not saying that is the path that you would like to take. Everybody would like to take care of the innovation. But some of them felt that we would set up similar solutions on a turnkey basis.
0: It is a very good question. And it is a question that as a board or as colleagues, we have mulled over. We have looked at those, uh, all sorts of alternatives. I mean, one of the things that we have written into our shareholder agreements is, you know, that there is this company must continue is a purpose driven company, and our purpose is twofold: clearly, reduction, the climate crisis, and what we can do to do that, and affordable energy it, the second element is absolutely critical because and that's we wish we wish to protect that so we have written that if you will in our constitution in terms of our patents we do hold those we thought about this and to get started we need a lot of capital Mm -hmm. This is not a software business. This is not an app. We have to build an expensive piece of kit. And we need to buy a lot of things. So we need to attract capital. And the advice we have been given is, is that you need a number of things to do to attract that capital. And having the patents is one of the best ways of doing that. And we are discussing this, and this is a personal opinion. I very much see that at some point in the future, we will be looking at licensing agreements and so on so that we can make this available. We can scale to a far bigger number through parties and other organizations. But for the first two years to get it off the ground, we took the view that the patents protect us and enable us to get that capital.
1: Why not introduce licensing along with this?
0: The door's certainly not closed. I mean, you know, um, far from it. At the moment, um, the focus is very much on getting the first working products into the first homes. So that's really where we're focusing on. I and mean, We should have this conversation again in a year's
2: time.
1: Don't get me wrong. I love your innovation so much. I feel everybody should have it. Why restricted to UK? I have a boiler in my basement, you know, which annoys the life out of me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, why am I not doing this? That's sort of the thing. Like, I want everybody to be doing this. And if you look, I understand the VCs, they require, they want their capital, their investment to be secure, to give them the turns that they need and all that good stuff. But also licensing is a good revenue stream, but I do understand that We have to get the first 6,000 units, you said.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the challenges we have at the moment is on a technical one, which is is that, as I mentioned, we are designed for a system that produces is a warm stroke hot water solution for heating the home. And the North American model is steam solution. Mm -hmm. And our technology at the moment won't deliver to the American and Canadian models. Although we have a professor at the University of Nottingham who has an idea on how we can ramp up our system to the heats that it might at some point produce the level of heat the steam. But our initial market is that of Northern Europe. But you're right, we do need to grow. Um, we've also seen real markets in the Southern Hemisphere as well, particularly parts of Australia and New Zealand and so on, which have got remarkably similar heating systems to that of Northern Europe.
1: So let me segue to another industry, which is the energy guzzler that everybody's talking about, cryptocurrency and its mining. Can you offer a solution there? Because it's not going to go away, regardless of how people like it or how passionate people feel about it, whether it's like or hate or somewhere in between, they're not going away, in my opinion.
0: The energy use in cryptocurrency is significant. I think I read a statistic that um, Bitcoin mining is the same as the energy use of the Netherlands or Argentina. And you're right, it's not going away. We talk about this quite a lot because cryptocurrency is en- it takes a lot of energy. We can do that. We can do the, the mining and we can use generated heat to do that. mm mm-hmm. We are trying to focus at the moment on our, the applications that we are doing, that crypto, cryptocurrency is not our first point of planning. Um And some of the cases that we're working on and is this is where that we can actually do some of that data Handling, if you will, for social causes, particular things like in Britain, providing data and compute usage for the National Health Service and for schools and so on at an affordable price. But yes, we can do it.
1: That sounds really exciting. And I want to thank you so much, Gary, for coming on Mindful Businesses. It's
0: been a pleasure. And um, Not only has it been a pleasure, but I now have some things I need to take back, some ideas that I have to take back to my board and discuss with them, which, um, so I thank you very much for that.
1: We are speaking to Gary Felgate from Thermify. It is a pleasure again to speak to you. This is Vidya Iyer with Mindful Businesses. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcast. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. Theme music composed by Tatum Gale. Marketing assistant is Caitlin Milligan. Advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Parisha. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.